In the second part of our dialogue with James Burroughs, the world expert on cultivating joy, he goes into a deeper discussion of the actual practical steps involved in cultivating joy and companion emotions such as love, compassion, and equanimity. Join us as James lays out the framework by which each of us can become more joyful and respond more fully and joyfully to life. Welcome to Deep Transformation, self society spirit, life-enhancing, paradigm-rattling conversations with cutting-edge thinkers, contemplatives, and activists with Dr. Roger Walsh and John Dupuy. Join us in the evolutionary fast lane as we take a deep dive into transformational practice, peak experience, profound understanding, powerful contribution. Yeah, you mentioned one of your, your talks that I listened to in preparation for this is actual practices when you are surprised by joy. As, as C.S. Lewis said, you know, named his autobiography, Surprised by Joy. I love that. But that when it happens, you can actually, as a practice, you talked about reinforcing it so that begins to prepare the brain to be able to be more open. Not we talked about, you know, being open to the pain, but being open to the joy. And could you elucidate that a little bit? I, I really like that. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, we will find what we look for, you know, the, the old confirmation bias. And if you look for how everyone is going to disappoint you or humanity is going down the tubes, you will, your brain will notice everything that confirms that and you'll miss the good around you, or you're more likely to miss the good around you. If, on the other hand, your radar is out for goodness, which has been a practice, like I said, of, of mine for many, uh, for a long time, and you see, oh, people inside are really wanting to be loved and accepted and feel safe, or it's amazing to be alive, and you start having that gratitude lens on, your brain will actually pick out, notice, confirming your belief system. So that's the first thing, to be on the lookout for the good, not to be naive. We're not talking about, you know, skipping through a field of daisies here and saying everything is, is wonderful, but to be on the lookout for the good. And then when it's here, when you pay attention to it and not just you know oh that's a beautiful sunset and what's for dinner but really let it sink in let it register my friend rick hansen says it's uh, neuroscientifically it's like shining a spotlight on the experience and a, a vacuum that sculpts that scoops it into your neural pathways more deeply so he has this, he came to the joy course a number of years ago, and he said, here's a formula for you. Just try this. And I've been sharing this ever since. He says, when you're feeling a moment of uplift, if you can, spend 15 seconds letting it register. Now, you don't have to say, excuse me, I'm doing my joy homework. So, uh, you know, you don't have to turn away from people, but just to inwardly, Feel it in your body 
And if he says, if you do that six times in a day, that's 90 seconds of well-being if you can handle it, and do that over a two-week period, you'll notice a shift. One, because you're, you're deepening the neural pathways, but also that you're starting to be on the lookout for the good. And that will start to reorient you. You do that over time and that becomes a habit where you're looking for the good and you're letting it in, not just knowing, oh, I'm feeling good right now, but going one extra step and and knowing, oh, this is what it feels like to feel good somatically. You will deepen that practice and that access to well-being. It's a very simple, direct experiment that we can all do. That's nice. And I'm sure you have that in your book, but I don't remember it. I love that because it's so simple and it's time bound. It's not saying try to do this for the rest of your life. It's an experiment <laughs> that all of us can do do in, in the course of our daily living. Mm-hmm. And to know that I'm sure that's true, that if we do that for just a couple of weeks, it will it will shift things. Uh, it, it occurs to me now, I don't know if this is okay, but it occurs a little, a mini experiment right now. Please. Right? Indeed, yes. So, so we're beyond just talking about this to, to actually have an, an experiential understanding of it, this is one of my, my go-to direct accessing of well-being. Okay, and and gratitude, which is one of the the ten steps in in awakening joy, is probably the the most direct accessing of well being. So here, let's just try this together, and your listeners, if you're listening out there, you can just try it with us. Okay, just go inside for a moment and bring to mind some blessing in your life, someone that you're grateful for, or some circumstance in your life, just bring to mind a blessing and have an image of either that person or that situation. And if you have that image, give a simple, silent thank you, right from your heart, to that person or to life. Thank you. And now just relax into that thank you and feel it in your body, the landscape of gratitude. Oh, thank you. And just enjoy it. Take a nice breath. And bring another blessing someone else or something else. Have an image. A simple thank you right from your heart. Just really let yourself feel it. Thank you. And then just relax and enjoy it. One last time, we go in threes in Buddhism. Nice deep breath.
One more blessing. You probably have so many. And call up an image. You can do it. And then just feel your appreciation with a simple thank you. Oh, thank you too. And once again, relax in that, that landscape of gratitude. Just enjoy it. Notice how you feel. Feel it? <laughs> ah, yes. Thank you, James. <laughs> Just inclining the mind and not missing it. It's one thing to say, oh, yes, I really appreciate so and so, but just, hmm, oh, this is what gratitude feels like. Oh, how sweet. And there's several beautiful things about that. One, one is that this is available, accessible to us all, so, and it's so easy. And so quick, it's just a beautiful little experiment we can do and see, oh, yes, this works, and then begin to do it on a regular basis if we want. And that's one of the one of the really wonderful things you've done in your Awakening Joy course is you've discovered over your lifetime of contemplative practice and exploration of, of transformative practices of multiple kinds, you've found these relatively simple exercises that we can all do to tap into greater joy and well-being and make them habits of heart and mind. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, was a, I was a fifth grade teacher, fifth grade and sixth grade teacher for a number of years in, in New York. So I, I like to make things simple and accessible. So that's a little game. Okay, this is, let's go from the, from the deep concepts that, you know, we, we can be enjoying and delighting to just feel it, just make it so that anyone can feel it. It's going from, from here, as Ramdas, one of my main inspirations, once told me, oh, it's all about the journey from, from here, up in your head, to here, going down to your heart and, and letting your body and your heart feel it. That's the that's when it really lands. Yeah. And in a way, what you're really teaching is emotional literacy. That is a, a literacy which should be part of our, you know, every upbringing and of our educational system, but of course isn't, although it's starting to, I'm delighted to see there, you know, there are some inroads and you've been one of the people creating those inroads, but you've created this course, Awakening Joy, and you've You've written this book, Awakening Joy, 10 Steps to Happiness. Tell us a little bit about what you've found as some of the most important things for for cultivating joy. Mm -hmm. Well, first uh, to say that uh, I I got into writing about joy because I lost my joy. Mm. So as often happens, that, that's how the, you know, the suffering can turn into something beneficial. 
but after James, how old were you when when you you had this experience of losing your joy oh from about 1984 so i was uh uh let's see 47 i was uh 30 37. i had been practicing as roger knows we'd sat together a number of retreats before then i'd been practicing very diligently and for a while i had a long honeymoon period where I would be running down the street saying, you just have to be mindful. You just have to be mindful. I found the secret. I got it. <laughs> then at some point, I got very serious about my practice. Dead serious. Emphasis on the dead. And I I subtly misconstrued some, some teachings that in my mind, the Buddha was saying, get out of here as fast as possible, and it's not okay to enjoy and celebrate life, which was also a big part of me. I had come from a, a devotional path before that. Reading Be Here Now changed my life, and Ramdas and Neem Karoli Baba from that book had a deep impact on opening up my heart. Anyway, I had a long honeymoon period, and then I, when I lost my joy, I lost that aliveness for some time as I became very serious about my spiritual practice, and there was something deadening in there. And that, even though I was teaching, teaching the the traditional Buddha Dharma, but but not with that joyful element that I had that was, I think, a natural part of me for some time. And then when I reclaimed, when I found my joy, I said, this can't be what the Buddha is talking about. He, the Buddha was called the happy one. What What's going on here? And uh, where I, I always, I love the, the Dalai Lama's book, The Art of Happiness. He starts out with the line, the purpose of life is to be happy. And, you know, you look at the Dalai Lama, he, he's not a, a sullen, morose kind of guy, even though he's seen as much suffering as probably any human being could comprehend. So I went back and I looked, I said, what did the Buddha say about true happiness? And that's when I found some teachings that really made sense to me, uh, that if packaged mm -hmm. in a way, in a user-friendly way, could be practiced in a very in a very effective daily life way not just on the cushion so i i did my little you know research on what the buddha did say about happiness because you hear a lot about suffering in in buddhism four noble truths there's suffering there's a cause of suffering there's an end to suffering there's a path leading to the end to suffering that's a lot of suffering and you you might kind of forget he was called the happy one so i just put a little tweak on it and saw one to see where the wholesome states that wholesome states are to be cultivated and deepened he says when not just to cultivate a wholesome state but when it's here to maintain and increase the wholesome state and james you might just say what a wholesome oh, the definition of a wholesome state. yeah sure wholesome in 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 buddhism in 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 buddhist psychology there's different qualities of heart and mind there's unwholesome or 
akusala or unhealthy one could one could say that we all know states of you know attachment aversion delusion fear judgment envy anger all of all of those are states that are suffering they're suffering in the moment and they lead to more suffering as they're more practiced and then there are beautiful states love generosity compassion joy peace they're part of who we are they're all part of who we are and the buddha suggests to cultivate those wholesome states and when they arise to maintain and increase them that's the fourth of the four wise efforts to maintain and increase wholesome states so you might say well what does that mean oh if i'm trying to to maintain or increase it and i say oh come on let's get some more bring it on as soon as you have attachment it's turned into an unwholesome state because all the unwholesome states are states of contraction and all the wholesome states are states of expansion whether it's love or generosity or or kindness whatever so if you're trying to grasp on to a wholesome state you've just turned it into an unwholesome state because there's the grasping mind so the way to maintain and increase a wholesome state not to try to hold on to it but to be really present for it don't miss it and that's where when you don't miss it you feel that gladness that i just spoke of a few moments ago the gladness connected with that wholesome state he says that gladness i call an equipment of mind to disarm all ill will and hostility to just tune into that feeling of well-being and that uplift and then the third principle that i found which is the all three of these are the basis of awakening joy is his teaching whatever one frequently thinks and ponders upon that will become the inclination of their mind can you argue with that whatever you your mind keeps on landing on that's that's the rut or the groove that you'll be you'll be caught in or in modern neuroscience the axiom neurons that fire together wired together it's the same thing so if over a period of time one practices and gets better and better at cultivating wholesome states and really being present for them that starts to shift your default setting with practice because it's all about practice and then what i did was i looked at 10 different 10 different wholesome states that the buddha talks about and i thought oh well what if i what if we practice that over time and cultivate the state and really delight in it marinate in it savor it when it's there for those 15 seconds or however long and you start to be on the lookout for the good and that might have an effect and i decided to test my hypothesis and it worked so that's what i've been teaching for the last 20 years or so and james since you mentioned you have uh, focus on 10 particular qualities would you like just like to to 
say a little bit, a bit about some of them? Sure. Uh, go through a, a little uh, journey through 10 wholesome qualities. Starting out with intention, it, like I said earlier, it all starts on the decision to go for it, which is different than wishing or hoping that that wholesome state would arise or that you will place well-being in the center of your life. Because most people say, oh, yeah, when I retire, then I'll be then I'll feel happy. Or when I meet the right person, I'll feel happy. And when I say happy, I'm not just talking about a smiley smile. I'm talking about well-being when I that I'll have well-being. So having that intention is the start. And I just want to add something or point out something implicit in what you're saying, James, and that is that the assumption in our culture and perhaps through in part of human nature is that is that happiness depends on certain conditions. And your implication and one of the central themes of your course is that, yes, that's true. And uh, we have we have the capacity to control our minds to and train our minds to the degree that we can also develop well-being in most conditions. Absolutely. It's a, the central tenet of of Dharma practice that it's not what's happening out there that's important. It's what is my relationship to what's happening out there. And you can have a wise, wholesome, skillful relationship to even the hardest stuff. That's what deepens compassion. So it's seeing that you have a choice. Often it doesn't feel like we have a choice, but we do have a choice how to process whatever is coming to us in life. Beautiful. And the other quality? Other quality. So just a, a, a quick run through. Uh, mindfulness is the second because when you're present for those states of well-being, they deepen. And like we said before, mindfulness weakens the, the unhealthy states and strengthens the healthy ones. Gratitude. Again, a test, something we can test for ourselves. I, I love that everything in everything in your course is a is an experiment. The, the whole thing is pointing people to practice. You know, you yeah. can read the book or you know listen to the to the talk. That that's just pointing. Just like the Buddha said, you know, hey, try this out for yourself. Ahipasiko, it says in, in the chant. Come and see for yourself. So it, it's it's all about you doing it for yourself and with exercises. And, you know, I say, don't take my word for it. This is an invitation. You can be as skeptical as you want. In fact, if you're skeptical, fine. Just don't stop at the skepticism. Check it out and see, well, I'm going to find out for myself. Second is mindfulness and learning to be with be in your present experience and learn to be with experience. Third is gratitude, like we just did before, which opens us up, opens our satellite dish up to all the blessings in our life, as one Tibetan teacher puts it. And then the fourth is opening to the hard stuff, because once you have a, a bigger, a bigger uh, container then you have more room to process all all the inevitable suffering in life. Then the fifth is integrity, that it is a bottom line foundation of well-being, not harming others or yourself. 
and just living aligned with your values. And, and James, just to add, since that's that's such a central part of your course and such an important thing, I think if there was one idea I could get out into the culture, it might be that that living ethically is not as our culture assumes a self-sacrifice, it's enlightened self-interest. Because when we live ethically, life is safer, we feel more secure, we feel more whole, greater integrity, and it, it's associated with a sense of well-being. And that just isn't it's one of the tragedies. It's just not recognized in our culture. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. The, the Buddha has, has this expression, the bliss of blamelessness, you know, and of course, we're not saints, very few of us are, but when you have nothing to hide, or there's there's nothing that you're stashing, and you're afraid that people will discover, there's a sense of openness and freedom, and it's it's the foundation for true well being. Yeah. Should I continue on? Or? Please, yes, please. Sixth is. Um, the joy of letting go, what I call the joy of letting go, which in, in uh, the, the Buddha talked about this a lot, that if if suffering is, if attachment is the cause of suffering, the end of suffering is letting go. And there's a few, a few different dimensions. One, there's stuff, just the disease of more, which we've got to figure out in this planet if we're going to be living in a a finite sustain, uh, sustainable container where more more is not the way so letting go of stuff letting go of busyness of again more with crowding our schedule and just having some space so we can really stay connected to ourselves letting go of our stories that's the, that's the big one like we talked before about what story my main practice is what story am I believing right now? Or what thought am I believing when I get caught? If I can remember, oh, I'm just creating this prison for myself. Oh, what, what story am I believing? And what if I could just let it go? And then the, the, the most beautiful expression of letting go, which you've been, Roger, a real model and inspiration for me. I think I've mentioned this before, is generosity. The, the joy of generosity and for people who who don't know you beyond the the this podcast mm, you've really been a, a true inspiration around generosity for many many years so you know that that joy of of uh, of generosity and that expression of letting go and then the seventh, we talked about this a little bit before, the the joy of loving ourselves, of learning to see who we really are. That's that big turning point where we see, oh, I am life expressing itself in this form. And, and maybe, James, just to draw an important distinction here, because so much of what you're teaching is a correction for the uh, faulty beliefs that prevail in our culture. And one of the faulty beliefs is a is the mistaken is the assumption that feeling positively about yourself, self-love, self-care is necessarily narcissistic. 
And in point of fact, your, what you point out is it's actually the opposite. Narcissism is a comp compensatory defense mechanism. It's a self-inflation as a cover over a self-deflation and a sense of unworthiness. Mm -hmm. And uh, and part of the healing of narcissism is a recognition that we don't actually suffer, suffer from what I, I call the the triple F fallacy, the fundamental flaw fallacy, the fundamental flaw, there's fundamentally something wrong with me. Mm -hmm. And and your practice of, of loving oneself really is an antidote to that. Mm, yeah. And and just to, to point out something that we all, at least here in the West, have grown up with, for better or worse, you know, the Judeo-Christian myth of or as creation story that we sinned and were thrown out of the garden of eden and if we're good enough maybe we can be forgiven and and be accepted again and be redeemed the redemption story that's a really heavy one to carry in our deepest psyche that is so different from eastern thought where whether it's in Hinduism, the Atman is in you, or the in Buddhism, you are already enlightened. You just don't see it. What a what a major shift in understanding who you are, and that that was one of the things that really drew me to to Buddhist teachings. Oh, you mean I am a Buddha? Wow, when you take refuge in the Buddha, you're not just taking refuge in that figure, that inspiring figure that lived 25, 2600 years ago, but oh, there's a Buddha right in me, the seed of, of awakening, it's right in me. Wow. So it's like you say, it's not narcissistic, it's just kind of seeing the truth. And once you do see it, then you're not preoccupied hoping everybody will affirm that you're okay. Then you can kind of let go of that and you don't have to be so self-absorbed. Like I said earlier, then you can be looking, oh, who's out there? And then you just kind of see it's in everyone and it's just kind of love finding itself. As <laughs> Mayor Baba says, uh, what is that line? Uh, love is essentially self-communicative. Those who do not have it catch it from those who have it. But really it's those who do not are not aware of it inside of them. It can be awakened outside, but it's just love finding itself. You know, let me put a, put in a plug for Jesus. I think you can find that in the Gospel of John and definitely in Thomas, you know, same, same. So Yeah. The kingdom of heaven is within you. Yeah, or whatever. Oh, however it's it's put yeah there there is the christ within that that's a whole different way of seeing it rather than you're a sinner and maybe you'll be forgiven so just to proceed i'll, I'll finish with the with the tour loving ourselves then the natural next practice is connection with others and feeling the joy of of connection which includes forgiveness and overcoming the barriers and includes seeing the good and includes feeling joy in the happiness that others feel around around you and that's a, a tremendous source of of well-being 
that leads to the ninth expression of compassion that in that connection with others the natural expression is the caring heart that wants to relieve suffering and that benefits yourself by expressing your caring not rescuing not saving but just you're the beneficiary like the the dalai lama calls it selfish altruism and he said he says this is a good thing it just feels good to care and then finally the the tenth of these practices is the joy of simply being where instead of cultivating gratitude or love or whatever just relaxing and not needing to do but to simply be so that you are the awareness are the pure unconditional presence that is your true nature and to just relax in it and stop trying then you can access it and and let it move through you so there's the quick tour beautiful and that last one the joy of simply being as uh, i'm struck by how much of what you're sharing and teaching is an antidote to the dysfunctional beliefs that prevail in conventional conventional culture and perhaps not just western culture but perhaps it's these uh, dysfunctional beliefs are to some extent existential or universal but uh, we know western culture best so certainly some of the some of the dysfunctional beliefs that you're you're correcting in your teaching are, are certainly certainly prevalent in the west and one of the last one the, the joy of being that this discovery that when we simply become aware of our deep nature beneath the stories beneath the thoughts beneath the you know the emotions that come and come and go we find there's a, a a basic joy a basic sense of well-being and one of the greatest tragedies of our culture is that most people assume that if they look within and go into their minds they'll find this morass of horrendous evil negativity black you know that will just overwhelm them and so the tragedy is that the vast majority of people live their lives trying to escape from their own own minds and can you imagine a more tra- a worse tragedy than that as a fundamental presupposition way of living and way of life to be running from oneself one's entire life that you you hit it right on the head and and one as long as you're running from there's no way that you can experience well-being and joy one principle in all of this is like i i think i said it earlier all of the unwholesome states the states of suffering are states of contraction all of the wholesome states are states of expansion and so if you're running from or you're afraid to look at then you are simply in a perpetual cycle of contraction whereas if you can just relax and be and let yourself be then that 
pure joy or that pure goodness was there all along. Like in in the Hindu teachings, I'm sure you've you've heard the expression Sat Chit Ananda. There was, there was a, a great yoga yogi ma- yoga master, Swami Satchidananda. But Sat Chit Ananda are three aspects of reality. Sat being, just pure being, chit consciousness, and ananda, bliss. And so the idea is that your true nature of this being, which has a consciousness in it, is naturally at ease and blissful. Or in the Tibetan practice, intrinsically empty, naturally radiant, naturally radiant, and ceaselessly responsive, where there's a, a, a caring and a connection. That's, that's the underlying reality. But most people don't have a clue that that's what it's all about. Uh, in fact, the opposite. And again, one of the themes of, of all your teaching and, and, of, and particularly Buddhism, and perhaps it's Buddhism of the, all the great traditions, and I have enormous respect for each of them. Each of them has a unique contribution, but one of Buddhism's unique contributions is, is its experimental attitude. As you, you quoted the Buddha, come and see for yourself. Test it out for yourself. Don't believe this. <laughs> Don't go on blind faith. <laughs> Try it out. And one of the most fundamental experiments is, is to see who we really are and to get below, as you said, the stories. Stay tuned for part three of the dialogue with James Barris, in which he explores the application of beautiful, loving, joyful emotions to responding more hopefully and helpfully to the great challenges of our time. Today's episode was brought to you by iWake Technologies. Visit the Deep Transformation website to find out more about iAwake's audio tools designed to wake us up, grow us up as a part of our daily deep transformational practice. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the Deep Transformation podcast, and we greatly appreciate your comments, suggestions, and questions. Thank you for all you are and all you do. From John, Roger, and the Deep Transformation team.